Friends, welcome back to the next episode of the After Hours Lounge. I'm sitting here with a Camden Hells lager in my hand, rearing to chat some garbage for the next hour and a half. Um, but hopefully you guys enjoy it. As we know, I have, I have emailed Camden Hells to ask them to send me some beers because I think I'm doing a good thing, but they still haven't got back to me. So if anyone knows anyone at Camden Hells, please get in touch. Uh, my guest this week is none other than Lord Commander of the Freelance Heroes on Facebook, uh, Mr. Ed Goodman himself. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Ed. Good evening. Good evening. I uh, thank you very much for uh, asking me. I worry if you think we're going to talk crap for the next um, for for a bit. It was a pre-comment on what my results are going to be, or whether this was a, a, a self-deprecating slur. I, I'd say it's definitely more of a self-deprecating slur than anything else. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I respectfully call it the art of chatting shit. Um, yeah, fair enough. And I think it is. It is an be art. the name of the podcast then. <laughs> it should be actually. Damn it, I didn't think of that one. This is why we should have... I think it's struggled to get it on Spotify, but, you know, worth a shot. <laughs> I've kind of spoken to a few, you know, there's almost a few radio stations at the moment that are playing podcast snippets and all this stuff, and they're like, oh, you, you know, do you swear at all in your podcast? And I'm like, oh, no. Yes, <laughs> they're like, can you, can you go through and bleep them out? And I'm like, oh, okay, as we were saying before I hit record, I've got 38 episodes, and each of them are at least an hour long. So I'm like, it's going to take me a while to bleep it all out. No, it's a, there's the thing about it too. You know, there's. I think we're going through a phase where swearing on certain types of content is is a thing. Dan Meredith wrote a very good book called The Subtle Art of Not. Oh no, there's the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Yeah, that's Mark which Manson. Was, which was Mark Manson, and yeah, there was right. Dan Meredith's How to Be Fucking Awesome, right? Which are great books, but I can't help. And don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not a prude, and you know, I'm <laughs> every other week on a football terrace so you know my language can be fairly fruity but i don't know i'm not sure it sits well with me i think it's almost like you have to stand you're, you're when you're having swearing on books you're trying to grab attention yeah then then for, for the wrong reasons i yeah. think they're both great books but that's in spite of the titles not because of them yeah that yeah i think that's true it can be it can be very easy to to swear for the sake of I'm just trying to get attention by being loud and brash and saying rude words, or are you actually doing it to be conducive to what you're trying to say? Exactly, exactly. And I, I, you know, I guess I don't know. Maybe they would. Maybe that was part of the deal to get it to the publisher. Well, that's it, exactly. But I think at the same time, there's probably a lot of people that think the other way of they they love it when someone swears and stuff because it happens so little, doesn't it? You know. Whenever anyone swears on live TV. Oh, I don't know about this year. Well, uh, people have got got a pass this year, haven't they? Even kids, I reckon. Well, yeah. I mean, I I was never shouted at as a kid for for swearing and stuff. I mean, up to a certain age, my mum was kind of like, well, I'm not very happy with that. I don't really like you doing it. But then I remember mum swearing around us and stuff, but it wasn't in a bad way. It was just a, they're kind of just words and you know when to say them and you know when not to say them and that's that. Oh, I'm 46 years old. Uh, I still wouldn't swear in front of my parents. In fact, I would. I can really? see the look now, feel it burning through my face if um, if I did. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh no, it's funny. It is. It is we, I I do find it strange that a certain word can can well, like that that doesn't really have any necessarily negative connotations. Most of them are verbs. You know, like why they why they cause so much offence. You know. There's. I, it's like. I, I know if my mum swears, which I think has happened twice in her life. Um, the I remember one of them specifically was fairly recently and talking about the experience of someone else. And, and it's like she took a pause and then added 
extensive emphasis on it so it wasn't just like saying oh so-and-so was just behaving so shit she would say and so-and-so is behaving so shit <laughs> it's just like come on build it up i can feel it coming yeah if they're gonna do it they're gonna do it properly aren't they exactly yeah no it's yeah it is it is funny i mean we've gone very off topic there but it's a nice way to start a conversation i think um so uh, Ed, well, I mean, we've you know we've we've never met. I joined um, Freelance here as the group on Facebook. We'll get into you starting that later. But I joined that um, in lockdown number one, so uh, mid-April time. Actually, a friend sent it to me and said this might be useful to you. Um, but tell tell myself and the listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, um, how you got into uh, you know working for yourself. Um, so, well, what I do is I I, I work in social media. Um, I support businesses, big and small, public, private, um, UK and abroad in using social media more efficiently and effectively and understanding its kind of human benefits rather than its, its data benefits, which is so often drives everything that they do on whichever platforms they're communicating on. Yeah. But actually, I, since starting Freelance Heroes um, back in the spring of 2016, there's been more of a need to help support businesses build um remote communities um especially this year but even before this year that started um so it's uh very much staying in the social media kind of space and uh but with an emphasis towards helping businesses build and manage effective communities because there's a fundamental difference between a community and an audience um and too many people kind of that for many it's just this blurred line between the two so because they have one which even that is debatable they assume they have the other because they have an audience they feel that they've created a community which mm. you know fundamentally isn't the case so um but that's kind of started i mean social media i've been working in since 2011 and with elements before that in my previous guys working at barclays um for years before that but um the the community side of it's been started pretty much um since uh freelance heroes launched as i say four and a half years ago yeah i guess it's one of those things like, like i work in social media as well so i i kind of know it as well and an audience one one way i look at it is you know you can sit in a full cinema with a huge audience and you don't talk to any of the other members of that audience and that that intrinsically is not a community whereas a community like what I see in, you know, freelance heroes and all that stuff is, or even, you know, a certain brands and businesses I've run, you see other, you know, followers say, so your audience technically, but you see them talking to each other and you go, right, well, there's, that's a community starting. And it is, that, that's a very basic description, but essentially that is what it is to me. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, again, so many businesses don't truly understand that. I think the main way that I can describe it is for freelance heroes to continue, I don't need to be there. Now, of course, I facilitate it and it's an important thing to do and I benefit and I enjoy being an active part of the community, yeah. but I don't need to be there for posts to be shared. I mean, I approve posts, they're shared and people comment on them without my involvement. Whereas with an audience, you have to be part of that conversation or it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the, the the big difference between the two. But businesses are still getting it, which is fine by me because it keeps me employed. <laughs> I was going to say you can't give away all the secrets, can you? <laughs> we can, um, but it's and people go, "This is great, it's phenomenal," and then they write notes about it and then do nothing about it. And I think for often though, it's that practical step. Um, you know, you don't become a, a great cook just by watching 
um, chefs on TV. You have to practice the skill yourself. And you can watch this idea, oh, great, I've got it now. And then actually putting it into practice is entirely different. And um, there's no way that uh, a souffle that I create looks anything like the one that a chef has done on TV, just to keep that analogy going. Yeah, exactly. It's often food-related, I have to say. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that at all. No, no, that's true. That's fair enough. Well, I guess, so do, you do, do you do kind of the more sort of um, go in, consult, build a sort of strategy for a, for a business, tell them what they need to do? It's almost like, like I said, a, a consultant role. So rather than like, like myself, I, I actually actively manage their day-to-day channels for them. Do you do that kind of stuff as well? Or is it more the bigger picture stuff? No, so um, I, I have a particular um, red line for myself there are many others such as yourself who are great at it but for myself i don't get enthused by running other people's social media channels okay uh so it's about doing it themselves and for me to to kind of give them the knowledge and the understanding for how they do that because i think there's there's two sides to it too which is one of which is for them to do it themselves or one of them is to be able to then employ someone to outsource it to but have the right understanding themselves so that they can measure its success or not which I think is that, that, that kind of fine line between the two. There are many good, great social media managers out there, freelance social media managers out there who know how to represent an organization through their social media activity, even though they're not directly employed by that company. But there are many who aren't because they've got a Facebook profile and they've been you know, sharing their political views or doing a TikTok dance. They feel, I couldn't suddenly run anyone's business account. But there's no line for really understanding where the value is defined for the business. And given the measure, the return on investment is so fundamentally one of the hardest things for any business to do on social media, um, then you have to really know that the person who is representing your organization online is doing it in the, in the right way. I mean, crikey, the pure gym scenario from a couple of weeks ago is a prime example, right? I don't know if you remember this. So pure, so this was on, um, uh this was yeah must be two three weeks ago now there was a personal trainer for pure gym so pure gym is a um a member health membership organization which i think is very apt in a conversation between two blokes drinking beer um so they're a health club with about 160 odd branches across the uk over a million members and many of them run their own social media accounts and i think that's the right thing to do because health clubs and gym memberships are often part of the community that they're representing but this particular personal trainer decided to run in honor of um uh black history month a uh, program called 12 days of slave yeah yeah. um which of course you can imagine went absolutely crazy Mm -hmm. um and i don't believe he meant any malice by it i think it was absolute ignorance that he did it um and naivety um but you know this is the the element of you know i don't doubt that there's a social media manager out there who has made a similar kind of foolish mistake but that's the that's why i help organizations who do even if they decide to outsource it they've got the fundamental knowledge to know whether they're outsourcing it to someone good or not i guess that that is that is such an important bit especially for people who you know, like, like a huge thing like that, but I'm, I'm maybe something like a smaller business where there's two, you know, three or four of them in there and they've got this very clear vision. It must be so difficult, one, to convey that and then two, to actually do it in a meaningful way 
if they, and what I've always said is social media is the last thing, the first thing to fall off the wagon when they don't have time for stuff. As we know this year, because how many people who run internal staff who um, run social media or work in marketing yeah. um, have been furloughed as a result because, yeah. you know, you feel that everyone else adds value, but because return on investment on certain marketing activities is so much harder, then they furlough them and wonder where their order book has suddenly kind of nosedived. That's, but, the, you know, that's, the, that's the challenge that, that, that we face as, but then also... But this is part of the other discussion that I have as well, which is that social media isn't owned by the marketing department. It's the responsibility of every org every part of an organization to tell the story of what they do and to get people to understand the heartbeat and what drives the purpose of that organization too. And the people behind it, which is, you know, where the true value is. And from that perspective, it's, that's where the, um, that's where it falls over because people think social media, it's broadcast, head it off to marketing and marketing should facilitate social media i understand that it's got to be facilitated through someone and it better yeah. through marketing than through accounts but um at the same time it's it's you know you almost feel you hand it off to them no one else has to worry about it and, and that's where it goes wrong i think so yeah and i think like you, you just mentioned in, in this day and age and in this day and age social media is one of the most important things that any brand and business can do especially while physical locations are shut all that sort of thing like it is it is your shop window at the moment it is but at the same time marrying the fact that social media is a human tool not a data tool um, and you know it's ironic i feel that where and i don't have the numbers of how many people in marketing staff have been um, furloughed yeah. um, and how many social media staff have been furloughed but but yet at the same time i know from google analytics that the traffic to my website has been more about social media marketing than anything else. Mm. Um, so the demand has gone up, but yet the furlough element has gone down. But, you know, I understand that from a business perspective who is worried about their own order book and being able to pay their staff and they'll only furlough those who they feel need, they need the support for. Um, so, you know, I'm not knocking the people that do that, but then partly it's naivety around the part that social media plays in an organization. Anyway, can I give you another analogy? And this one isn't even food related. Okay. So this is, I often um, have the analogy of social media being like the sidecar to a motorbike. All right. So you can picture a motorbike, beautiful, sexy, shiny machine. That's the business. Okay. Every cog and, and parts working together to take the rider where they want to go. Yeah. Sidecar is social media for three reasons. One, because social media, like the sidecar, doesn't just attach itself to one part of the bike. A sidecar to be stable has to attach itself to various parts of the bike in the same way that social media isn't solely a marketing tool. It's an opportunity to learn, to listen, to provide support and service as well as for marketing as well. Mm. Secondly, the engine is in the bike, not in the sidecar. So the idea being is that the bike is, de is deciding where it's going and the sidecar is there to support that journey, not to take over the journey or to go off on its own agenda. And thirdly, it's the personality. Car goes or bike goes past with the sidecar, the sidecar will be the first thing you see. Or bikes with a sidecar will stand out amongst those without one. Sure, eventually you'll then turn the attention to the bike, but that's the purpose of the social media side of it too. It picks up passengers along the way, drops them off. Uh, and it's that analogy that kind of breaks through where the value is from a business perspective as well. I feel like I've gone on a rant here now. Maybe I've only had half a can of beer. No, no, but no, I feel no. like I've gone on a rant already. No, no, that, that's that's epic. I'm, I will be I will be stealing that actually. That's that's yeah. 
Go for it. Well, that's 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 such that's one of the best ways I've ever heard it be described because there is so many like my my sort of tagline on all my emails and my my business card and all that is focused on how to be social, not how to do social. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's and, a very good point. <laughs> and and you, don't, you don't walk into a pub and stand there and go, how do I do this? How, how do I do this? Well, we're not allowed to walk into a pub at the moment, but when we can walk into a pub, you don't stand in the, you know, you walk in the door and you go, oh, how do I go up and order a beer and how do I do this? You just kind of do it. And I think there's, there is a certain level of, it's very easy not to start, you know, setting, oh, I need to set up a, a Facebook or an Instagram for this or, you know, whatever. It's very easy to go, well, no, I don't need that. And I don't, you know, don't want to do this. But it, it, you have to walk in the door and go and order a beer. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, no. I mean, you've got to order the beer for it to happen. You don't necessarily then have to dive in and take part in a conversation, even if you're standing there like you would do in a pub and listening to what other people are saying without adding your thoughts. That's still being social. It's still part of the conversation. No, I agree. It's a verb, not a noun. Yeah, that, that, that's, and I think that's another thing that people should learn about social media on the other side is actually listening is sometimes better than talking. And that is why you and I are needed by so many businesses across the UK <laughs> yeah. and beyond. Yeah, because I think, you know, especially, especially in these trying times, um, everyone, everyone has an, an opinion and people are far too, far too fast to voice that opinion, aren't they? Yes. And, you know, I mean, I know, don't get me wrong, there's much about social media I don't like. Social media is, society is in a very binary state. You know, you have to be on one side or the other. You can't meet in the middle. There is a calling out for this kind of centrist mentality that we need, party politics aside, but just a centrist mentality, whereas you could say, you know, for example, and I'm not saying this is me, but just as an example, um, I don't agree with wearing masks um but i also didn't vote for brexit now but it seems that everyone has to fall on one category so you have to be well if you're a mask wearer then you must be a, a liberal or a socialist you must be anti-brexit you must you know you, you must be uh, anti-trump all of those fall in masks are irrelevant masks are about healthcare. it's got nothing to do with the political stance and yet the other side is there too and of course there is no meeting in the middle could you imagine the idea of soldiers in the trenches meeting to play a game of football at Christmas. You know, whereas now on social media, we go onto our Facebook feed. If someone dare share an opinion that isn't our political opinion, we'll kick them off as a Facebook friend because we prefer to talk in echo chambers. And I accept that social media is, is not, it's the carrier of these behaviours. It's not the thing that drives it. Twitter doesn't make you angry. The people on there who just about drivel make you angry. You know, Instagram doesn't make you laugh. Um, it's the people who share great photos and memes that make you smile. But yet, so, and also traditional media has a part to play in this too, because they perpetuate some of the, for, for column inches and for advertising, I understand it, you know, they might have a situation where they go, right, um, Twitter has gone mad because, you know, John Smith has said this. And you look and they quote like three tweets. Is that the definite? Is that the statistical definition of going mad? I don't know, because yeah. I don't recall seeing that on Twitter. But again, it's it's we create because it's driven by advertising. If I'm divisive, it's like in politics. You know, at, at the time of recording this, um, we don't know who the winner is of the U.S. election. Um, but um, you've got a situation where um, Donald Trump is spouting this inane stuff, like mm. ridiculous. 
yeah. stuff which he's been doing for years but he would prefer as would anyone else with political stance with that particular mentality for you to be angry at him than to be apathetic because if all you can think about is his name it's all you're interested in and if all you're interested in is is the inane drivel then that's all the news are going to broadcast as well and the more airtime you get the more votes you get at the same time as well and and that you know and so, social media people use social media have adapted have pulled and pushed social media to work for that political and corporate gain too one of my um favorite examples of of social media kind of showing how mentality is so there was um in san antonio in texas so this was about three years ago now um there's a, a mattress wholesale or retailer sorry so like a factory shop and they had this miracle mattress um, was the name of the organization that they had this sale on and they called it the twin tower sale Oops. and there <clears throat> and it was in a september time about three years ago and they had this promo video you can youtube miracle mattress sale and it will come up mm. and there was this um so if you imagine this scene where there's a woman behind the woman there are these two towers of i'm using my hands to demonstrate it which is brilliant for a podcast yeah. uh, so there are <laughs> there are two towers of mattresses okay yeah. and a u.s flag on top of them and then a couple of her colleagues standing in front of them as well and she's gesticulating waving her arms around about this sale as well and how unbelievable this king mattress is a twin price a queen mattress twin price and she throws them out of there knocks her arms into the gentleman standing behind her who fall into the two towers of mattresses which fall over and she then looks steely-eyed into the camera and says we'll never forget i mean it's the most cringeworthy advert you can see but she was chastised absolutely ripped apart and across the tv stations and the southern states of america you can see her again on youtube apologizing face to face she didn't mean to um you know kind of bring the name of 20 uh, of sorry of 9 11 into disrepute she didn't mean to, to to cause such hurt in the memory um and people were watching it and across social media they were going can't believe what miracle mattress are doing miracle mattress are uh, uh you know are offensive to nine the memory of 9 11 miracle mattress have been so hurtful to those who've died miracle mattress have a sale on uh and i messaged them in these um the following new year and said look i don't want to haul you over the coals but i'm generally curious to know um what um what what was the sale like what impact did it have and they had a record sale yeah i was gonna say and, and, but, and there's the mentality and that's society that's where we're at as human being social media just kind of carries that mentality it's not the driver of it well it, it goes back to what we said at the beginning of the podcast whoever swears the most gets the most airtime and you get more airtime you get more there was <laughs> <laughs> so um us air did this once as well someone so you know they might have had some intern someone tweeted us air to say flights delayed us air responded for their reason why the flights delayed the passenger went back with her that's not good enough and then the person who's us air, which i'm only going to assume was an intern on their last day or it certainly was their last day after this yeah us air big organization in america yeah. i don't know if it's the biggest airline but it's certainly up there then tweeted back an image that I will just describe involved a naked woman and a toy aircraft. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. It's a not safe for work, but by all means, Google it. Yeah. Um, and, um, and of course, it created this hashtag, US Air Fail, and everyone going, what are you doing? <laughs> you mad people. Yeah. Um, but 
what do you think happened to their bookings? It just had an unexpected spike. So yeah. there's the uh, lesson, boys and girls. Uh, if you want to increase your social media presence, just go out and insult all of your customers. I'm joking, by the way, for the record. And post don't edit this out. <laughs> and post pornographic pictures involving toy airplanes. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Sorry, my wife was just bringing me in, um, another beer. I didn't think that was going to come through so quickly. I never asked you. What, 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 are you, what are you drinking? What was it? Innocent Gun. Innocent Gun. Innocent Gun Lager. So I've, I, I, I'm always a lager drinker. Yeah, me uh, I did go through periods of phases. So in my life, I've gone through drinking cider and I've gone through drinking bitter. But I, I like... My longest phase is drinking, so I like lager, Peronis and, uh, and, and the like, but I prefer a lager with a bit of a flavour to it. Yeah. So give me a craft lager, an Innocent Gun. Um, when I went to Edinburgh last, oh, must be about three years ago or whatever, and, and I had it on draft there and I thought, that's nice. And then when I realised that Waitrose was selling it down here around the corner from me, I thought, that's, yeah, I like it. Innocent Gun, I'm going for it. And now, of course, there's craft lagers all over the place. So, yeah, I'm drinking yeah. Innocent Gun lager, um, which is, I don't know what it is, 5% maybe, 4.5, 4.8. They do a, I had a Innocent Gun made a mango IPA, and that is amazing. That's, That's nice. nice. Yeah, so, yeah. An, an IPA and one of your five a day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. When, um, Brewdog did that, didn't they do um, with an Elvis and grape, grapefruit Elvis? Like Elvis juice, they called it, and it was a grapefruit beer. Yeah, I've had that. Yeah, yeah. This, this so, so I run an, an online um, pub quiz during lockdown one, which I'm starting again in lockdown two on Saturday. Again, at the time of recording this, um, so it already happened. So it's just a Facebook thing. It's a free online pub quiz. People mark their own, and it's meant to just be a bit of fun, break the monotony of everything. Yeah, and someone sent me some beers to drink, so I was drinking them during the last quiz I did, and one of them was um, grapefruit, uh, sorry, Elvis juice, which was, and I would never have bought that myself. I was yeah. very impressed. Yeah, well, um, a lot of these brands as well, like Brewdog. I remember, I know they do like a, a a sort of twelve twelve case of beer, but it's like four, three three or four of each type. So you get you get a little bit. I bought one of them for a party last sort of October November when my mate bought a house, and it was yeah, it was great. There's, there's all sorts of different ones. But yeah, one of them is about 7%, so you've got to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> Too yeah. many of those and then try and walk in a straight line. Yeah. The best one, we went up, I went up to Edinburgh to, for, a, for actually for a video shoot for a, a guy I had on the podcast. And I had a, I had a pina colada lager up there. Hmm. And that was, that was very good. We kind of had a pint of it. And then I was very much like, right, him and Charlie have one each. And we were like, I don't think I can drink another one, but yeah, that was that was nice. And Camden, Camden actually made one, and I was going to order it, but you know they they make sort of beers for three months and then they make another beer. So I I missed the window of them selling their pina colada beer, which was quite annoying. I don't. I mean, it'd be one of those where I wouldn't buy it. Someone would have to provide it to me, and then I'd have to you know before I make my decision on whether I drink. I remember when I went to Edinburgh for the festival. Must have been about twenty years ago. And this was, and I went to, uh, I was there with a few friends. We went to a pub where they were selling flavoured vodka. And of course, you know, now I'd be like, yeah, right, whatever. Not new, but then never yeah. heard of it before. Yeah. Like Iron Brew flavoured vodka. Be like, oh, this is oh, opened a whole new world of, yeah, of drinking too much. It was lovely, actually. Isn't, uh, uh, isn't Scot Scotland is the only country in the world where Coca-Cola isn't the number one soft drink? <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. I yeah. didn't know that. I like that. The only country in the world. When they changed the flavour of it, I think it's because they, they, when the sugar tax came in, they might yeah. have altered it. It caused uproar. Um, because I'm I'm from Scotland, so I, 
I drank Iron Brew so much as a kid. And then I remember when it happened, I still see now, you get the odd sort of corner shops in Glasgow posting. They're like, we've got original Iron Brew and they're selling it for like a five or a bottle. And everyone, everyone shares it across Facebook and they all race down. It's like there's a gold rush at every, a corner shop every few weeks. We've got do this as well, where they originally released their Coke Classic, which yeah. is supposed to be the original flavour, like not the original Coke-laced one, but um, if that was such a thing. But um, the um, but their original flavour. Maybe Iron Brew will do that again. They'll kind of bring it back. I think that I know they've released one called like 1933 or something, but I, I don't know whether that's original or anything. But I I had a can of the of, of it after um after they changed the sugar and it was disgusting. I was like, oh. <sighs> to think it was that much difference as well yeah for yeah well they 50 it was they took 50 percent of the sugar out of it but yeah but they, no one drinks iron brew as part of a calorie controlled diet no no exactly yeah you you there's only one reason you ever drink iron brew and it's when you drank too many beers the night before it's a fantastic a fantastic morning after drink yeah you have a can of iron <laughs> brew and a, and a, and a mars bar yeah and a shitload of greasy food yeah <laughs> and you're on it <laughs> back on the ready for the not that maybe Iron Brew is the key. Maybe original Iron Brew is the key to kill coronavirus. That's what you need. You fill your insides with that. Nothing's going to survive. <laughs> well, I went for the philosophy of alcohol being a preservative, but maybe that's um, maybe it should be the Iron Brew thing. Oh, I look forward to the day of heading back to East, heading to Easter Road and watching, you know, drinking Iron Brew and uh, on yeah. the coast of Leith and. I know we wanted to we wanted to go up to the Christmas markets in Edinburgh this year. We were hoping to get I went we went a few years ago. Oh up by Waverley. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's lovely. Yeah, but unfortunately not. So I mean when you getting back on track, but that's fine. We can go back. But when you when you started um when you sort of started freelance here, as you say you started it in twenty sixteen. I mean, were you what was the what was the initial reason for starting it? Was it just because your business had pivoted and you realised it may be useful for that or were you, were you genuinely just wanting to create that sort of community? And then did, did, you expect yeah. it to, did you expect it to get to what it is now? So no is the answer to that question. <laughs> um, and neither did I plan it on being anything. Uh, it was never an intention to create Freelance Heroes until I sat in front of my laptop and created Freelance Heroes. Yeah. So I was um, at a networking event in Cambridge, not a million miles away from where I live. Right. And um, try and picture the scene where in this networking group, and I was eavesdropping on a conversation where there were two photographers, one who was starting out and one who was a, a bit more uh, kind of established, if you like. <clears throat> and the one who was starting out innocently asked the one who was established, you know, what tips can you give me? Is, you know, I'm kind of entering the market for the first time. What advice have you got? And his response was very much, well, you know, I don't want to give all my secrets away and give my customers away to you. So you've got to find it out for yourself. I'm like, what? So it's obviously a ridiculous kind of thought process and not one that I wanted to entertain. But rather than try and fight that fight, I thought, well, what if the new photographer could ask that question of someone who was 100 miles away? Mm. Um, so I went home and started a Facebook group and then didn't know what to call it and came up with freelance heroes and took a few days before I spelt heroes correctly and renamed it. And uh, that was it. That was the, the premise of the group. And I invited my friends, that photographer being one of them um, to the group. And the premise 
hasn't changed from when it started. There are some kind of moments within it that have changed. So I thought, for example, so the premise of the group uh, is that it's a peer support group. It's a place where freelancers can come in and go, I'm stuck on motivation. I'm stuck on WordPress or a client's not paying me. What do I do? Or anything along those lines. Or I, you know, sometimes even though it's not why it was set up, you know, um, I need, um, a Facebook ads professional to help me out here, that kind of thing. Um, but it's a non-selling group. So it's not there. A, you're only allowed in the group if a, you're a freelancer and B, you're a UK freelancer. And I don't mean that from any prejudicial or xenophobic reasons, but more because I can understand the working environments and the pain points and taxation responsibilities and culture of a freelancer who's in Belfast or Cardiff or Nottingham or wherever, rather than one who's in Seattle or yeah. Sydney. So the, or let alone any other non-English speaking nation as well. So the, you're a freelance and also it's only for freelancers because it's not there for companies to sell to the freelance community. We have a freelance heroes day, which apart from this year is a physical get together where freelancers can learn from talks and do some networking as well. And again, a non-sales environment. And we have some, we've had some wonderful businesses sponsor that. And even they're not allowed in the group. They hand over money for sponsorship. So <laughs> it's a very strict rule of, um, of not being allowed in. But that's the, the premise of the group. And, and it hasn't changed. I thought when we started it, that it might be a case of, in, you know, high levels of accountability. So um, the... Uh, you know, every Monday we'll go, right, what are your goals for this week? And we'll assess that the following week. And it turns out that's not what members wanted. So I stopped that after a while. And um, another one where I thought, well, actually, this is a complete non-selling group. No selling whatsoever. But like a shaken iron brew bottle, it, it's got to come out at some point. So we have a day of self-promotion on a Wednesday, which um, has a particular thread called the midweek selfie. But other than that, the premise of the group has, has stayed the same. Um, and uh, has seen, uh, I've been party to some phenomenal conversations that I've witnessed throughout, and some people who've had some extraordinary results um, and have been incredibly generous in in their comments of supporting others. And my my feeling is, is that everyone has their own level of success and our own definition of success, more to the point. And you should absolutely do what you need to do to go get that success, whatever that success looked like, whether you're looking to take over the world or, or something else. Um, but while you're on that route, bring someone with you, you know, help them along the way, answer their questions, um, be supportive of them, give them encouragement. And, and that's ultimately what a, a freelance hero is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as I said, I, so I, I joined the group recommended by a friend. I joined in sort of April time. Um, so yeah, lockdown one. So just when, in, in the space of a week, I lost about 60, 60% of my work. And I had two, two clients I was about to sign. I, I, was, I was about to do it. I, I, I went freelance in September. And from, for like February, March, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. This is, this is, you know, I had a certain aim in my head. And I was like, oh, it's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have X amount of clients. And I'm going to be, like, I was like, I'm, I'm going to make this thing I've got. And then obviously COVID did it. And, and you know, all that happened. So it, it, it was a really great thing. I joined that and even just seeing a lot of other people in the same situation as me, even though in my brain, I knew that there's millions of other people. It was on the news every day, but seeing them actually writing messages on Facebook and saying, 
I've just lost all my work. Does anyone know, you know, I'm thinking of starting this during lockdown. What do people think? Or, you know, things like that were immensely helpful on top of all the admin things. You know, I filled out my first tax return last month and it was, uh, there was a couple of things on, on the freelance heroes group that I was like, Oh, that's, Oh, that's good. That's what I can do. That's what I need to do. So it's, you know, and I know I'm not just, you know, telling you that, it, you know, I'm not just worshiping the ground you stand on, but I'm saying like it, it, gen it genuinely is useful and it genuinely has really helped. I mean, I'm, I'm fully aware, you know, I, I, I'm a modest person. So, you know, I will, firstly, it's not just me. There's Annie Brown who um, joined kind of project freelance heroes um, about three months after started. And, and, you know, she is very instrumental in building the website and, the other elements that yeah, the, the freelance heroes Facebook group will never change. It's ring fenced for its purpose. But you know, at the end of the day, there's only so many hours when I, I dread to think how much I've dedicated to freelance heroes, you know, for no financial gain. Um, because that's not why I set it up. But at the same time, you know, I can't, I've got to, you know, I'm a business person at the end of the day. I'm a, I'm here to, I'm, I'm here to, to do, what's right but also to do what's right by my family and by the bills too so freelance heroes as a facebook group will never change it, absolutely as as long as um i'm alive uh, then that's the plan but i have a website or we have a website that uh, we're launching um to you know to go alongside it which people can join because not everyone likes facebook because the website will have other elements to it as well and you know that's a, a subscription model to it and, and that's there if it's right for people but the, yeah the facebook group will never change because there are two million freelancers in the uk and the best support for freelancers in the uk in whatever country the best support for you if you're a freelancer or all the other freelancers in your country so the best support for the two million freelancers here in the uk are the other two million freelancers yeah. and freelance heroes is merely a vehicle to you know a platform for those freelancers to stand on and and help each other um and one conversation that stands out for me i remember was uh, a woman uh, who she had 66p left in her bank account 66 pence now it's easy easy to judge her as to how she got to that point easy to criticize that she should have made some better decisions but you know the horse has already bolted so what's the point yeah and she bravely said i've only got 66 pence left i don't know what to do my business is going to fold. My life is going to change already. And I'm stuck. I need help. Yeah. And she did this one evening and she messaged me about half 10 at night. Like I could feel the joyful tears through the message of, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I've now got two full A4 pages of practical solutions. that I can start going through tomorrow to help turn my situation around. And two years later, you know, her business continues to grow and thrive. And that, when I read that story, you know, that's why I created Freelance Heroes. That's the purpose of it. No other reason and no other planning for that. Um, because we know freelancer is an island. You, no matter how switched on you are, no matter how skilled you are, and no matter how confident you are as an individual, no one can do this on their own let alone all of the other people who aren't as confident um, or are more introverted to etc or, or you know or suffer from high anxiety or all those other reasons 
Um, so, you know, no one can do this on their own. And imagine if we all come together and help each other and we're focusing on our own business at the same time, you know, wow, what can we achieve? Because uh, that's, that's the purpose and the premise of Freelance Heroes. Definitely. I think, I think that's such a, such a great thing for you to touch on there because I think, and I mean, you, you, again, you've got far more experience um, in this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I do feel like that a lot of people that have gone freelance and things like that have done it for kind of mental reasons, whether it's, I can't deal with, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but can't deal with having someone telling me what to do all the time, or they perhaps experienced a toxic work environment, or, you know, maybe they're slightly agoraphobic, so they don't necessarily like leaving the house that much, you know, do you think a lot of those reasons contribute to, to people going freelance in the first place? Oh, I mean, people go freelance for a whole multitude of reasons. You know, they go on maternity leave, uh, maybe they don't go back. Um, or, you know, redundancy is a massive thing. Toxic work environments, the stories of those, as you say, yeah. come up all the time. I mean, for me, it was an itch I wanted to scratch. Yeah. Um, you know, once I had the idea that I wanted to work for myself and I realised... I better give it a go and if it works out great and if it doesn't at least i've tried it um so i think there's a, a number of reasons why people do it and it's a, it's one thing planning for it but when you can't plan for it when it's put upon you it's a far scarier prospect than when you plan for it and you don't realize what those challenges and pitfalls are ahead and no one knows everything you know um no one has all no one person has all the answers mm. you know, i remember the uh, the story of the spanish cellist pablo casals who was interviewed when he was in his 90s about you know and he's one of the kind of leading cellists of all time and was interviewed you know why do you still practice and his answer being because i think i'm getting good at it and he was in his 90s and been doing it for decades so no one has the answer and the same applies to um to 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 everyone else so um when you do go into it with all the planning in the world, there are still going to be hurdles that you can't clear on your own. And when you don't fall into it through planning, but because the decisions have been made upon you. And I've, ex I've been fortunate to experience, um, you know, the employed environment in a multiple ways. I remember, you know, my first ever boss when I left school at 16 years old, a chap called Jeffrey Salmon. And um, he uh, was phenomenal boss. Um, he was, he, he was a real kind of mentor like uh, uh to you know, i had no ideas of going into no dreams of being a business owner at that point but you know i realized when i did a summer job for him when i was 15 i wanted to leave school and work for him because i'll get a better education and i got paid for it um working for for him and then you know i went worked in uh the family business uh and i worked in retail um specifically down at um, Harrods and Selfridges uh, for a, a few years, which, um, which was fun yeah. um, in different ways. Um, and, but I worked for a concession um, rather than for them. I couldn't have worked for the department store. Themselves. No, no. I remember once I turned up for the, and Harrods, their sales starts at like seven o'clock in the morning in like the first Wednesday of the month, I think it was. And right. um, it was on January the 7th. And my birthday is on January the 6th. And I'd only been with the company for about four months. Right. And I, and I turned up and I, of course, went out the night before. Um, I had no idea what time I got in. And I was due to be back at Harrods for half five in the morning. I was there at eight, I think, half eight. Oh. 
uh, and my boss and the owner of the concession uh, came down and uh, he said to me, give me one reason, just one reason why I shouldn't sack you right now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I said, because uh, the, every one person makes a mistake and the brightest mornings often come after the darkest nights. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there's no way he's going to buy this, but I'm going full charm offensive on this one. Yeah. And his and he looked at me and went it's the biggest in a kind of true Sheffield Yorkshire voice and was like, you know, it's the biggest load of bollocks I've ever heard. But you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and I was and eventually uh, ran the concession there and in, in Selfridges later on and he was a wonderful man too. Yeah. Uh, God bless his soul. And uh, and equally I've worked for companies where I've been bullied. Um yeah. I worked for a company where um, I won't mention their name but um they're very well known uh organization and um uh my boss didn't want to recruit me but she was um uh it was her boss the director who took me on and she, for nine months made my life utter hell because she hated men yeah um, and uh and, and i was bullied as a result and i and i remember when i handed in my notice and she went she saw resignation that's written here she goes thank god for that oh. she said that and i'm like Oh, if only everyone knew what you were like. Yeah. And, and people saw it. And I remember people standing in the organization. They knew this. They all, no one backed me up because they were fearful of their own jobs. That's it. Exactly. It becomes almost like the Me Too movement, doesn't it? It's like everyone, it's just this code, a code of silence. Totally. Totally. Um, you know, and especially because, you know, in some cases, people didn't believe it. You know, hang on, he's six foot four. He's, he's, there's no way he was bullied. I was like, too right I was. Um, numerous times where I, I just, you know, I cried at night or, I, you know, didn't want to go in and, and, yeah. and all that stuff. So uh, thankfully I left there and uh, after about nine months and again, you know, I've had some, I've worked for some great people and learned some great lessons and all of these experiences take us into the freelance world and that's all we need. And we make the right decisions for ourselves from there and we bring others in to help us along the way. I think, I think that's it. Like, yeah, I think, you know, that's potentially why I've fit, fared relatively well. I mean, this is my first year of working you know, freelancing, working for myself, but because I've had a, I've, I've had many jobs, you know, in my, in my life. And like you, like you've said there, I've had some bosses that have literally been mentors to me throughout my formative years, you know, my early twenties and stuff. I've had some amazing bosses that are still, still a very close friend to this day. But then I've also had the complete opposite of that. But if anything, I learned more lessons from the bad one than the good one. Because I I learned I learned to now go through the rest of my life I will never deal with people that behave like that ever again, whether mm. it's on a friend basis or in a professional environment. I'm like, and I just now have you know almost like a spider sense in your brain. You're like, um, I don't want to go near this person now because I you 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 know you recognise something in it. I think, and I think having that sort of spider sense has definitely helped me um, over the last year. But I think you you do develop that. Absolutely. I mean, it's, um, it's, I don't necessarily buy the notion that we're the sum of the five people around us because I think that's too easy. Yeah. Um, and plus also, um, that can't work surely because we're the sum of the people around us who have been influenced by the people around them. But anyway, I'm digressing, but I do think the idea of sticking to radiators, not drains is, is, is something that's so important to us. So, you know, I'm very lucky. I have a family, um, um, my wife and my children, uh, my parents are still around, and I'm, I'm, you know, blessed with a, a lot of love around me. 
um, and professionally as well. I have a network. So I run a monthly mastermind group, like a, a business owners open mastermind group here. Um, but obviously online at the moment. And I have some, a great network of professionals who I know I can be very honest to and yeah. say, actually, this is how I'm feeling. Um, this is the, this is the mistakes I've made until this point. And they won't judge me. They'll go, I've got, you know, page of notes here from this morning's meetings about a challenge I brought to the table, yeah. which were there going, well, if I was me, if I was you, sorry, this is what I would do. And I, you know, that, I don't know how you can put a price on that. There are some phenomenal coaches out there uh, and phenomenal mentors, but you know, the answer isn't always to go and find a coach. And as I say, there are some great ones uh, amongst the, the you know, uh, amongst business owners, but there's, just by having a strong network who you who lift you who empathize with you who are that radiator rather than a drain who sucks every emotion and um spirit away from you can can prove to be so valuable but as friends as well you know as well as um in in professional life just having those who you know you can truly count on there's the you've heard the um the two pints and a puppy test so this is the idea being is you know, define your yeah remind me remind define your friends based on um, those that you would have two pints with and those that you would let look after your puppy. Um, the idea being is stick to more of those who would do both um, uh, rather than those who would do kind of one or the other. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I have heard that before. Yeah, I think I think that's so important. Like in terms of, you know, for your, for your mental, and I think that's why a lot of people are struggling at the moment is because they can't physically surround themselves with the people, you know, they literally call it your support bubble or whatever. And you, you physically can't do that at the moment. And no matter how good zoom becomes and technology and stuff, it, it still doesn't compare, but having, having that network actually in my, in my last podcast, I spoke about this because there's a lot of stuff in mental health about surrounding yourself with the right friends and getting rid of toxic relationships, whether it's work, friends, you know romantic anything and I kind of said actually I've never really had a problem with that you know I've always had I've got the same group of friends I've had for the last 10 years and they're all wonderful I've met them all through work and then now through freelancing that's kind of more of a solo gig but every business I've worked with has been really really gracious you know my partner I've been with for years and that's um, you know only getting better so I kind of feel weird with that with that side of it because I'm like why do sometimes I still get nervous when everyone else, when I've got this amazing network? But I think there, there's definitely more to it, isn't there? There is. And I think part the, the, the biggest, um, so for me, I, 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 as I said already, that a freelance hero is someone who strives to reach their own goals, but offers their kind of voice to help others along the way. Yeah. But actually what is truly brave in situations is asking for help. So, you know, we all have a challenge. We all have hurdles in front of us. Some of those hurdles are bigger than others. And some we can face on our own. And some we might need our uh, loved ones to support us because that sympathy is so key. But some who we look at our loved ones, but they don't truly understand. My parents still don't know what I do. I don't they ever will. <laughs> but their, their love is un, uh, for me is, is unwavering. So they're not the people that I would go to when I have a business challenge or a professional challenge. And there are some business people that I would go to who are no use to me when it comes to a technical challenge. So all those hurdles that we face along the way are sometimes big and sometimes small, but so often we can't clear those hurdles uh, on our own. And this year is a, a, you know, but you know, 2020 has, is, has been an incredibly tough year 
but for different reasons and for different people, so was 2019. Mm. So was 2018. So will 2025 be yeah. and whatever the world looks like then. Um, so the asking for help, just putting yourself out there. And, and that, you know, I'm, you know, we see this sometimes on, on, on Twitter when people go, there was a, um, trending today by the way was uh, happy birthday Chris because some complete random guy called Chris said that because the lockdown has started he's celebrating his birthday on his own so Twitter went into its wonderful Twitter like self and started going happy birthday Chris I I love that but so when you can bravely put yourself out there and go I'm struggling for whatever reason personal reason professional reason and you know and I I feel guilty sometimes for this because I, I'm not in my eighties living in a 20th floor of a London block and flats on my own. I've got family around me. I've got a house. Um, I'm earning money, both me and my wife are, but yet I still, and I feel guilty for the days when I feel at my lowest. Yeah. And I, and, and I know, and then I feel guilty. Then I feel low for feeling guilty. <laughs> anyway, I, I, it seems like I, I can't, it's like this, perpetual motion of 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 uh of, of trying to get out of this rut of feeling that way and I, I i tweeted myself the other day um that um i i forgotten what feeling there is like yeah you know i either feel like i can take on the world or i feel like i'm going to fall apart yeah there's no there's no how are you I'm all right it's, it's one or the other now i feel like i can take on the world asked me yesterday i was probably closer to falling apart and, and you know everything else has to the world has to continue to turn and your involvement has to be a part of that world turning too so as much as i say a freelance hero is um someone who offers their support it's as much someone who just goes do you know what i need your help i can't do this on my own and when you have that group of people around you personally professionally who will do that for you it's it's an incredible feeling when you do come out the other side very emotional feeling when you look back and you go i owe them yeah definitely i think yeah you you're you're right ask asking is far more difficult but also far far braver to do but often what the the reason or in my opinion or an experience people are often nervous because they're like if i ask for help people are going to think i'm vulnerable or weak or stupid but actually what a lot of people don't realize is that other people and like it's, it's an inherently selfish thing other people love to help not just because they're doing a good thing but it makes them feel good as well because they're like oh i'm I, I you know it makes them feel important it makes them feel good and this is not a bad thing but it's you know you could look at it as a, a selfish thing but i i love it when people ask me for tips you know i get people messaging going oh how, how did you how did you start your podcast or you know, or what, you know, I, I spent many years, I'm a very keen windsurfer and, you know, I, I, I got to a reasonable level. A lot of people ask me for tips on certain moves and stuff. And I, I always take the time to do it because I love doing it. And there is a selfish bit in there that goes, oh, I'm an expert at something. I love this. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and, and, you know, when I said to you before we went on air that, you know, I was honoured to be asked, I, I generally meant that, you know, I, you know I'm honoured that you want to listen, let alone the other 5 million that are listening as well, but just to, to um, <laughs> uh, just to, um, to have you listening, it, it's, it, it is a, a lovely feeling and it's a lovely feeling to help someone else. You know, when someone does ask you and you offer a solution, they go, you're so right. That's great. And you give them that feeling of hope 
um, of satisfaction. It's it's a lovely feeling to uh, to to be able to help someone else. And I think it is an element of judgment that people don't ask for help because they feel people will criticize another. And I go back to the woman who said she only had 66p, you know, she obviously came through that to be able to ask for that help herself. And then, you know, I come from, uh, I, I go down the road. If imagine if you, you're walking down the road, yeah, uh, wherever you are and someone on the other side of the street, you catch them in the corner of your eye and they go, Oi, wanker. <laughs> and they're looking at you. What do you do? Do you stop and engage with them or do you just walk on by? Yeah. Now the natural feeling is I'm just going to walk on by, head down and ignore them. But yet put it into social con media content. We have this feeling that we have to get involved in a conversation with them. And I don't really understand where that's come from. You know, yeah. What, what's going to happen? Although it does remind me of one of my favorite ever examples when uh, sadly it was born from one of the school shooting atrocities in America. And I let my, my feelings about how guns can be so readily available known. And then someone from, uh, I think it was New Mexico had, uh, had tweeted back at me saying, you know, kind of, you know, safe to say you stuck up English. And I can't remember, and I wish I'd saved this tweet, but it was fairly offensive. But I was more put out by the fact that he was grammatically shocking. <laughs> I felt the need to correct him on that. And I went, it's okay, you're allowed your view. But I just, you know, full stop here, capital letter there. That word doesn't go there. There is spelled differently. And his response to that was to hit back at me with exactly the same offensive tweet, but grammatically perfect. And I felt, you know, I felt like my, 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 my job there was done. I, I responded by going, your mum must be proud. Realised yeah. I probably didn't help either. You've made a difference. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think it is one of those things where, like, well, like, like we keep saying, just, just because... I mean, you could you could literally link this analogy to a gun. Just because you've got a gun doesn't mean you should use it. You know, just, no. just because you've got Twitter or Instagram doesn't mean you need to use it. And I, I, you know, I've, I have my own opinions on you know the way the world's going at the moment and the way the UK especially are handling this and stuff. And I very nearly a few times have have decided to put my opinions out there, but I've gone. Do you know what? <laughs> they don't need another white middle-class guy in his late 20s talking about coronavirus as if they're an expert because everyone's doing it already so i'm like i'm just gonna I, I, i've kind of and this is something i've always found interesting is people staying in their lane and i do i do think i try to stay in my lane and i think sometimes it potentially is damaging to me um but a lot of the time i do find that if a lot more people stayed in their lane uh, the world might be a bit more peaceful yeah i'm it is that fine line. My issue is, is those people who get out of their lane, who decide to kind of air their views and opinions, but they do it under some kind of attempted mask of anonymity. If you've got, if you're confident in the view you're airing, then come out from behind whatever avatar you're using and air that view yeah. and tell me your name and stand proud of your opinion because everyone's entitled to them. Yeah, everyone's entitled to say what they want to say. Um, you can fundamentally disagree with them, and if their speech um, kind of entices violence or racial hatred or homophobic yeah. attacks, etc., then absolutely it should be dealt with by the proper authorities. But um, everyone should be entitled to turn around and go, "I hate," I don't know, whatever. Uh, I, I I can't even say it in jest. But do it and tell me who you are. Show me your face. 
show yeah. me your tell yeah. me your name if you really stand by that then i want to i want to engage with you about it i want <laughs> you to tell me why you feel that way and i want to tell you why i fundamentally disagree with you and then you want i want you to prove to me why you're wrong and that's that is a debate i've got a friend of mine who lives just around the corner from me he is a um brexit voting def <laughs> um, devout tory um yeah. scottish independence voter um and all the things i'm not I, i'm not scottish so i didn't vote in that one but i'm anti-brexit and anti-tory um but i enjoy meeting him at the pub for a beer obviously we don't do that now um because we disagree with each other but he listens to me yeah and then he tells me why my opinion is wrong and i listen to him and then i tell him why my why his opinion and i and we end up having a debate we will very often disagree on it and we will we will come to the end of it we're not attempting to change each other's view. sometimes i'll just talk to him and go hmm i didn't think of it like that and the world that the, the, there isn't enough of that yeah. and these echo chambers that we engage with is is more damaging than than anything else um and you know guardian readers need to read the mail from time to time and vice versa vice versa because how can you truly stand on your moral high ground at the points you're making if you don't know who you're talking to? Exactly. Well, I think, I think that's why podcasting is becoming so, so, so big and so successful as well, because these kind of longer form conversations, there's a lot more truth coming out of it. And I do, I do think, you know, like if you're going to voice an opinion on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and if you are going to backlash, I think you should have to hold your phone up and make a video of yourself saying it rather than just typing it out because but with, with these podcasts and stuff, like it's, it's kind of exciting sometimes when you're in a conversation and someone disagrees and you can, you can encourage, right, well, actually, let's talk about this. Tell me your points. I'll tell you my points and then we'll come to something like that's, that's how our, that's how our civilization was formed. You know, well, maybe not the British, the British empire. <laughs> we won't talk about that, but, but you know, that's, that's how civilization should be formed, shall we say. You know, we, yeah, you disagree with me, I disagree with you, but let's let's sit there and actually talk with each other and maybe drink a beer or two and let's see what comes out, you know? And surely those disagreements you end up creating a spark, a spark where, you know, something wonderful can happen as a result. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, there are some great moments of those where people have come together. You know, any war, any war has, has been dealt with because sides have come together to talk. Battles have been won by killing the opposition, but wars have eventually been decided by communication. Mm. So if that's the case of wars, then why isn't the case of any other political debate? And, you know, again, that goes back to the social media side of it. So maybe we should all just post pictures of puppies and breakfast. I think that, that, that would be far nicer. But I think as well, like from a, from a mental, a mental health point of view as well, I think it, it, it kind of gets that tension out of the air a bit, doesn't it as well? You know, if you're going on social media or you're, which let's face it, it's what everyone does now. It's, it forms the basis of our life, especially in lockdown when we can't go out and see, our, go outside and see our friends. You know, if you're going on that and you're just seeing all these, going back to what we're saying, all these polarizing views and this, this and this, it sometimes is quite refreshing to actually see two people sitting, having a chat and you realize that, you know, all, all hope isn't lost. I think that's why, you know, the success of podcasts and people like Joe Rogan and all these, there's a reason why tens of millions of people listen to every episode, because I think they appreciate people just sitting there and having a chat rather than these kind of doctored media articles or social media posts of 
two people just saying the complete opposite of what the others say. It's like, it's easy to turn around and say that everyone who disagrees with you, <clears throat> Trump is an idiot, so therefore everyone that votes for him is an idiot. Yeah. Um, which clearly isn't the case. It's a bit like saying everyone who voted Brexit, um, we should all vote for breakfast, but anyone who voted Brexit is a racist. Clearly that's not the case. Yeah. Um, but so because we pigeonhole the opposition rather than stand by our own beliefs, uh, it's, um, it makes our argument largely pointless and meaningless itself. And, and again, social media is the, the easy platform to do it on because we don't have to um, really truly say who we are as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, some people do. And then now, of course, we're in a world where you just go out and find out who they work for and tell their boss. Well, that's it. Well, Other I, advantage of being freelance. Yeah, exactly. I'm free. But <laughs> something I did see, and you know, a lot, a lot of people say it, but I can't remember who, who, who it was that I was listening to that said it. And they said, you know, the, be the best thing about social media is that everyone has a voice. And the worst thing about social media is that everyone has a voice. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But do you know what? I used to love Facebook had this idea originally and they started to implement it and then seemed to just stop halfway through the project, which was to improve mental health by removing all the likes from Instagram. They did so when, they've done it in a few countries. So like in Australia, you can't you, you don't you can't see the likes. But uh, they announced it and they did it partially in the UK. So okay. some accounts you can and some you can't. Most yeah. you can't. Most you can and some you can't. Right. I'm like, but what do you need to learn from that? Because surely that's a brilliant tool from mental health a it will make social media a more enjoyable place especially on instagram where fine people arrive for the pictures but they stick around for the comments so people's businesses will have a better experience from that but mental health perspective will worry less i mean i've got family members who are young teenagers who yeah. get excited by more followers i'm like who is this follower i don't know but it's another number so yeah. you've got no idea who this extra person is following you on whatever platform it is but you're really excited that they are yeah, I mean, that's uh, I I have as a parent, as a social media professional, um, I always have two words of advice for everyone: turn your notifications off and talk to your parents about social. Talk to your children, sorry, about social media. Not not what your kind of utopian vision of social media should be, or what your life was like when you were growing up, but where social media does fit in because there's some great stories i remember you know you remember the ariana grande atrocity in the manchester arena yeah. where um uh and i remember on and again on i use twitter as an example here where there were people who were um kind of tweeting if you're in the area and you're scared my door's open let me know uh, my kettle's on yeah and this kind of warm feeling it happened in paris yeah well after the nightclub shooting and and again it's like come by and have a cup of tea and it's just this, this no, nothing other than social media could perpetuate that war that that kind of feeling of brilliance the ice bucket challenge for crying out yeah, loud all over facebook people were pouring buckets of ice cold water over themselves L national leaders were doing this yeah. all because of uh of, of you know a small charity in america um starting this as their own social media campaign yeah. and again when you're getting the whole world pouring buckets of ice cold water over themselves um then uh, and donating money to charity as a result of that that's a a pretty extraordinary thing that's the thing i think i think i think it just needs to be like you said no notifications turned off 
I think it's so easy for people to be, there's that one the amazing side that you've just said there of, of bringing, like we said at the beginning, you know, of a community coming together. But at the same time, there's the other thing of, like, like you said, your family member who, who's on, you know, Instagram, oh, I've got new followers and stuff. And they're like, who is it? And they go, well, I don't know. That person has instantly been, there's just a huge dehumanizing thing going on at the moment where, like you said, a binary society of like, well, I've, I've got 500 followers, but I know who five of them are, you know? And for kids, especially like, that's terrifying. Like, like I said to you, my, my partner, Heidi, she's a, she's a teacher. And she has spent the other last week. She was back. At, she got back at, she finishes, the kids finish it just after two. And she got back at about six because she was on phones to parents because a kid made a TikTok video and another kid was in the background or, you know, all this nonsense happened. And she spent two or three hours dealing with parents talking to them about their kids using TikTok. When did that become the job of a teacher to do? You know, it's, it's mad that they, this is, it's so ingrained in society now that, you know, it becomes a part of uh, a daily life for uh, someone like a teacher. I mean, it, being a good person is part of the curriculum, but I agree with you. I feel that specifically social media, given its, um, its, its you know, such broad use, um and given how many kids sign up to it long before they're 13 years old anyway which i know is the legal requirement mm. um should be part of the curriculum as well about the impact of of social media and the the dark side as well as the um the positive side there are some wonderful stories out there but there are some desperately sad stories too and often as a result of the way people are treated i mean i remember seeing a story of of you know a child being beaten up around the corner from their school and what were the kids doing around filming it yeah how many people phone how many of those kids phone the police how many of those kids asked for help i'm not saying no one did but they're filming they've all got their phones out filming it um and you know i don't think this is what andy warhol meant no yeah it comes a bit terrifying you know it's 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 one of those things where you 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 know I've I've read a lot you know there's the new documentary that came out the social dilemma on Netflix I don't know if you saw that um, and then Joe Rogan recently did a podcast with the guy who made that 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 documentary or the main guy from it a guy called Tristan who worked for Google um, but you know all the all the stuff they were talking about of like the this next generation so I, what I imagine is you know yeah you know the sort of the children that my my partner teaches so around sort of 10, 12, 12, 10 to 15 years old now, they're like the first generation that are going to really grow up with this and deal with this from, from minute one. You know, I, I had, I didn't, I didn't get Instagram till 2014. So I was 22, 23 by the time I got it. Um, I actually didn't have a phone for three or four years before that I was traveling, traveling and all this stuff. So, but I, I know it's myself and now I, now I work on it. I don't go on it as much for personal things, but, I still find myself drawn to it. You know, it is, it is a scary thing. And yeah, I do worry about the mental health of a lot of people because of it. Oh, I, mean, I, I totally agree with you. And uh, I agree with you about kids having to deal with the fallout of their parents being affected by this because no one knows the long-term effects of this kind of digital exposure as well. I think the social dilemma is always a fascinating one because there's two sides to every story and that is very much only one side. Yeah, by people who used to work for <laughs> social yeah, networks. Whistleblowers. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I think there's, um, uh, but obviously more, that's going to get more views than the other side. I'm not saying they're all wrong, but again, I think there's, um, 
there's two sides which need to be taken into consideration. It's like um, the, um, did you see the, the there was a vegan documentary that came out maybe beginning of this year, end of last year called The Game Changers, and that was very much pro-vegan, you know, eating and all this stuff. And then it it came out that every single celebrity that was in that documentary and was endorsing this vegan lifestyle, all of them had ties or shares to a vegan supplement company, anything, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger has vegan, has a vegan supplement company now, all this. So it's like, well, of course you're going to go on and tell everyone to go vegan. You know, so that, after I read all that, you know, this fallout from the game changers, I did watch the social dilemma. And obviously because I'm in the space, you know, I kind of was very interested in watching it, but it was very much a doomsday scenario that I do wonder the other side, like, I struggle to believe that Mark Zuckerberg is a lizard person from the center of the earth that wants to control humanity. You know, I think he's, he's a guy that was trying to pick up chicks that accidentally built something. Like you said, they're, they're facilitating it, not making it happen. You know, they can't, they can't, they're not, they're not changing humanity. They've just provided the platform. Oh, they obviously work with, you know, unscrupulous people. Cambridge Analytica clearly have a lot to answer. And I do worry, I do worry in a part about how, um, political adverts can get into the face of those who are vulnerable or undecided. Yeah. that's. I've never seen an advert for the Conservative Party. No, me neither. Um, and, you know, why? Because, it, I mean, I'm also not massively vocal on or about party politics on social media, even amongst my private Facebook. So people who I'm connected to on Facebook are friends. Um, or you know people who I would have at least two beers with some of which I might let look after my puppy I'd have to buy one first but anyway that's a different conversation but either way <laughs> so they're, but they're not acquaintances they're not people who I might have connected with on another platform although I get constant friend requests on Facebook all the time yeah. um, from people who are part of freelance heroes often uh, often as well but anyway so <clears throat> the I forgot where I was going with this now um, but I think the, the point is that when we are on social media and we're airing our views, social media companies that are attached to those like Facebook knows what we're like and therefore sees adverts, uh, shows us adverts. And I don't get me wrong, I'd prefer to see an advert that I would be more interested in. Yeah. I don't want to constantly be told that I need a hair transplant or a bigger penis. I'd rather be told that I, as an advert, by the way, this isn't like my wife criticizing or anything, but um, <laughs> the, I, what I mean is I don't want my, I don't want a, um, an advert. I don't mind an advert telling me there's a new type of headphones out um, or a new range of clothing because it knows what I like and that's fair enough. Yeah. But it's interesting how, uh, an undecided is more likely to see an advert for a political party than I am being told you should vote for someone you've never voted for before. Mm. Um, and I, and that's my scepticism. But other than that, I've got nothing to hide. So I don't really worry too much. I think that's it. It's very, it's very easy to get wrapped up and start putting tinfoil on your head and, Oh, they're thinking, you know what they, they're, they're spying on me, but I've very much taken the view of like, if, oh, if they're spying, if GCHQ are spying on me, they are bored. Yeah, that's a little. <laughs> they ain't gonna find anything other than me searching for new pictures of the new Mandalorian episode. You know, like there's, there's not there's not much that's gonna they're gonna get from me really. You want to keep sending me video clips of the West Wing or Back to the Future? I'll watch them till the cows come home. But other than that, yeah, it's exactly. a fairly boring life. Exactly. <laughs> so, from their perspective. 
So what, what sort of, I mean, you know, you, you, you must get this all the time um, and things like that, especially with, you know, freelance heroes and stuff. But what have you found that's been particularly effective for you, um, especially over the last few months in terms of kind of coping with, you know, be, being, a, being a freelancer and things? Because you, you get a lot more, you get far more no's than you get yeses generally. Um, but sometimes that can feel amplified when you're working for yourself. Um, what do you... Have, have you got any kind of what, what sort of coping mechanisms have you used over the years, especially this year? Do you know what? I can cope with the nose. Uh, I can't cope with the silence. Yeah. Um, so I can cope with putting quotes out there and getting nothing back. Um, but when the whole world goes quiet, then then I worry um, from a professional perspective. And, and the, you know, I apologise if this sounds repetitive, but my coping mechanism, so for me, you know, you can try things like going for a walk, getting fresh air. It doesn't really do it because I go for a walk and I constantly stare at my phone while I'm doing at it. So doing it, so nothing really changes. Um, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm kind of halfway between the extrovert, introvert scale. <clears throat> I need the social endorsements of others at times to make me feel positive and confident in myself. But at the same time, there's a frequent frequency of wanting to shut myself away and not talk to anyone um, and not have to, to, you know, worry about talking about how I'm feeling. Um, so, but I always feel better when I do sp speak to someone. Yeah. So my coping mechanism is to, like now as we enter lockdown too um i've got some freelancers who live near me who have all said let's just go for a walk um sometime and just chat like we are today chat about anything yeah. chat about work and just chat and you know that that's a great coping mechanism because you kind of come back you feel you know fresh air you feel energized by the um exercise but at the same time you feel like you've been you've been able to talk about the thing the blockage that you're experiencing at that moment to be able to move on because very often people will give you the ideas to help you overcome those challenges but only if you ask them yeah. and only if you tell them what the challenge is otherwise they can't guess no one can guess what's wrong with you yeah i'm not saying that that you have to tell everything that whenever you're feeling bad and you know there are times when my youngest would say, are you all right? Yeah, I'm just tired. It's not, I'm tired. I'm cross, but I don't know why I'm cross. And if I can't define why I'm cross, how am I supposed to describe it to you? Yeah. But, um, and that's okay. I feel okay by being able to do that. But I equally know there are times when I need to clear the blockage and that can really only come by other people providing me with the uh, ability to do so. And I have to ask them for help when that happens. So that's my, that's my, that's my coping mechanism. Definitely. I think like my, my big sort of quote that I, I kind of put um, after every podcast and all that stuff is the, the more we all talk, the easier it becomes. Um, and that is such a simple thing to say, but for some reason I sort of said it one day and I was like, well, oh, that's, that's quite good actually. And like, it, it is sort of simple, but effective. And a past podcast I did uh, with a, with a guy, another guy um, called Ed. Um, it's a fine he, name. Yeah. Strong name. It's my <laughs> Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. As I said, <laughs> um, he, he, we, we kind of said, you know, all, all the cliches are cliches for a reason because they're great. They're really good, you know. And well, and, not always. Okay. So I have an issue with the one that says it's okay not to be okay. Okay, gay. Why, why is that? Because yeah. because it is okay not to be okay. I get that, but it doesn't get you anywhere near the solution. 
yeah. All you're doing is it's just saying, I feel shit. Imagine if you had a conversation where you go, I feel really bad. Oh, well done. Yeah. But that was it. That would be the, would be the most pointless conversation in the world. I, yeah. I, 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 you know, it's okay not to be okay <clears throat> was there to be able to support people for the fact that they might feel bad, but does nothing to get them out of how they're feeling. Yeah. Whereas I think it's okay to talk about not being okay or something slightly more catchy. Yeah. I think it's just it's very it's very much a slogan, but you just you just hope that I, I I mean I'm I'm very much an advocate for steering into the skid as well. So like you know occasionally, and this is an, another reason why freelance life has benefited me so well because occasionally I do wake up and I do have a very bad day, and my brain is like you know I sit in front of a laptop and I try and I try and work and I try and do this and I kind of go do you know what um I can't do this and the beautiful thing about being a freelancer I go right well I'm, I'm gonna have the morning off then and I'm gonna do everything I can to cheer myself up so like you said you know you text a friend and say right let's go for a walk this morning and let's you know we can talk about this stuff or all this stuff and I've got my own certain processes that I do and I'll do that and then I'll go right I'll do that and then I'll have lunch and then I'll sit down in the afternoon and you know feel hopefully feel like a, a new person so I, I do believe in you know steering into the skid and things but I I, I agree with you that it's okay not to be okay, but maybe let's try and do something about you not being okay. I mean, it's like, I mean, at the same time, I might set a plan with a friend to say, let's go for a walk. And when the day comes, I might send him a message and go, actually, um, I don't feel very well today. Yeah. So, and I, you know, not because of them, but because of me. And I, I realize I absolutely do not want to go out there and talk about it. That's it. Um, whereas I don't doubt if someone then wheeled me outside to go and talk about it, then then I would. But um, I, so in that sense, it is okay not to be okay. Oh, maybe I've just come down on the wrong side, the wrong side of my own argument. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then it is okay not to be okay, but it's also better to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. I, I I think it's usually helps, but I think having yeah having having these coping mechanisms. But I think. It's very, it's all well and good, me and you sitting chatting and saying, well, I do this, well, I do this. But I think it is so important for everyone to find their own thing because certain people, like you said, you know, you, you said you, um, when, when it's on, you, you love going and watching the football and stuff. Like, I, I don't, don't like football at all. I've never liked it, never played it. It's never been a thing for me. But I completely appreciate why so many people enjoy it. You know, for me, there's so many different things and everyone is so different, but... I think it often is a lifelong search for a lot of people is finding that thing that they can do when they're feeling down or a kind of tribe that they can identify with. Um, and I think people that have got that are very, very lucky. What do you do? Uh, What's I, your coping mechanism? Um, if I can, I go in the sea, whether it's, uh, I'm a very keen windsurfer, surfer. I do, you know, if it's flat, I'll go paddleboarding, even just putting a wetsuit on and going in for a swim. And then if I really can't do that, um, I, I, I love uh, films, so I love. I can stick stick a film on, like I can, you know. I'm I'm a real like I hate the term film buff, movie buff, but I I love I love films. There you uh, go. There's your second podcast identified. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I have thought about it. Me and me and a friend. Do it, do have, it, do yeah, it. Do. <laughs> four hours talking about season eight of Game of Thrones. You know, but, um, it's not I, a film. It's not a film. That's well, it, yeah. True. It was short enough to be, to be honest. No, I've never seen Game of Thrones. I've never seen an episode. Oh well, it's it's brilliant up to season eight. But yeah, 
<laughs> you, you said they're you said they're the West Wing. I, I have been thinking about watching the West Wing because I've heard some some great things. I know it's old, but apparently it's amazing. I mean, I did it again. It was um, back end of last year. I watched all seven seasons again um, yeah. from start to finish. Not in one sitting, obviously. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's a great cast. It's phenomenal writing. Aaron Sorkin, who wrote yeah. uh, A Few Good Men, he wrote Social Network, uh, Newsroom, more recently, The Trial of Chicago 7. Have you, have you uh, seen it? I haven't yet, no. And I, it's on my list. It's amazing. I mean, I can imagine it is. I'm a big fan of his writing. Oh, yeah. um, I know so he's, it's easy to criticise him for always, you know, writing about things after they've happened, but, you know, he's not a science fiction writer. No, yeah. Uh, so, but yeah. He's, um, he's a wonderful, I, and it's such a great cast. I mean, Martin Sheen, Rob Lowe, Bradley Whitworth. There are just some, some John Spencer. There are some great, it's just brilliantly casted uh, uh, and, you know, serious. I'd highly recommend it. Do yeah. it. It's all, it's all just been put on uh, all four, hasn't it? Yeah, yes, it has. You can now watch all, se- all seven series on all four for free. Uh, so you're laughing. That's a good, yeah, usually, that's funny, actually. Usually I finish these podcasts up with kind of saying, well, this year I have, um, saying, right, hit me with some, some lockdown viewing recommendations. So maybe... Oh, well, so that, that'd be the West Wing. More recently, I, st- I only caught up with, I didn't know it was a thing, was uh, Strike, which was the J.K. Rowling. Uh, series. So J.K. Rowling wrote a series of books under a male pseudonym, right. uh, which was um, a private detective in London um, series, um, and each one is a two-part mini-series, all available on the iPlayer. And yeah. there's like uh, four stories, and each story has two episodes apart from the last one, which has three or four. Um, so they're great. Definitely watch Strike. And I've also, because I never really watched it first time round, I've started watching Jonathan Creek. I don't know, Jonathan, I don't know what Jonathan... So, Alan, this was about 20 years ago. Uh, Alan Davis, uh, who's a comedian also on QI, um, he plays him and Caroline Quinton, who was um, more famous for kind of being a part of Men Behaving Badly at the time, uh, which was a wonderful um, sitcom on BBC One. So she's an investigative journalist, and she uh, works with uh, Jonathan Davis, who is a magician. Right. Uh, and they solve some very strange cases. Now, not kind of X-Files strange cases, just cases that are the normal kind of killings. You think, well, there's no answer to this, but it's just, it's wonderful entertainment. Each episode is like about, I don't know how many seasons they got, but it went from about 96, it lasted for about 20 years. Um, But yeah, I only started watching that. So that's what my recommendation would be. West Wing, Strike, Jonathan Creek. Excellent. Bang lovely. West Wing, I'm going to have to do. We've got what we got. Well, at, the, at the moment, I'm a huge, huge Star Wars fan. So we've got the Mandalorian coming out at the moment, and then, and then the, we've got the new New Crown starts in ten days, which I'm excited. Oh, where are we up to with that? I, I haven't seen an episode of the Crown either. So we're oh, in the Diana days now, aren't we? The, the Crown's worth doing. Season four is going to be Margaret Thatcher and introduction of Diana. Right. Yeah, so no. uh, maybe I will go back to watching them. I like uh, Matt Smith, so I, I, I should have watched them. Oh, he's so. It's, I, I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of people that are very anti-royal, but I mean, I I just take it for what it is. I mean, it's. They've, they've oh, there's been, certain members of the royal family I have no time for. Prince oh, Andrew uh, being an obvious yeah. one. Yeah. Um, but there are. I mean, the Queen is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, she's. Uh, she never asked for this for this life for her father to die young when he, she was young. Yeah. To, to be head of the, 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 but she's phenomenal. 
yeah, I've, I've got I've got so much time for it. It's one of one of my favorite. I was funny. I was I was sitting with my my mum and we were talking about it and we you know this was a couple of years ago. We said, oh well, apparently it's really good, but I was like, it can't be good. And we watched one episode and we were like, well, should we put the next one on? <laughs> you know, and it just kept going and we ended up. Yeah, watching, it's four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, we watched two seasons in about a week. You know, we just. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, maybe I'll give it a go. I haven't watched an episode, but I'll give it a go. Yeah, if not, Ozark. Ozark's always a good one. I know, I did watch the first couple of series. Maybe the first couple of episodes. Maybe it's a slow starter. Maybe. Don't get me wrong, I like Jason Bateman. I thought the story was was clever, but it just didn't grab me from the first two episodes. Do I need to persist with it? Uh, Yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, uh, for me, it just got better. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well... Ed, let's uh, let's finish up. We'll we'll kind of wrap wrap up there. Uh, I think that's, a treat. that's an awful awful lot of conversation there. But yeah, I mean, thank you, thank you so much for coming on. I think hopefully that's been valuable to everyone listening. Um, just some really good points about sort of social media. About you know, the biggest thing I would say to anyone if they're thinking of going out and doing something on their own, um, you know, whether they've been made redundant, lost their job, or are thinking about leaving their job, um, I, I the only thing I would say is do it. Uh, there's so many there's so many ups and downs i mean i'm only in my first year ed you've been in it for a long time um but like like you you said it once in the podcast and i kind of said this like i even if in two years time i'm i've i've got a job and i'm not doing this at least i can say that i kind of tried to do it um and i think like you said it, it is a it, it is an itch that i would probably have always wanted to scratch i mean i'm hoping that it works out and i don't have to you know get up in the morning and go to an office because i don't really like doing that but um, yeah anyone listening if you're thinking of doing it it's worth it worth a shot you know nothing nothing is certain if you'd like to add anything to that no I mean I totally agree I mean it's a question I often get asked is when is a good time to start a business and the answer is now it doesn't matter yeah. that we're in the middle of a covid pandemic um, or if you're listening to this when we're not um, now is a good time just don't do it on your own um, and um, don't remortgage your house to pay for it and you'll be all right yeah just play it cool yeah. And, and of course join freelance heroes on Facebook. and of course join freelance heroes yes sorry i should have mentioned that to start with yeah. go on you're gonna get shouted at for that aren't you? <laughs> um, yeah cool well yeah guys as i said uh yeah if you're thinking about doing it do it uh you can reach me um on instagram at the after hours lounge uh you can find me on facebook as well the after hours lounge please like share subscribe all the usual nonsense it helps more than you can imagine despite us just discussing how these are vanity metrics and we're dehumanizing people, but it still very much helps me if you like, share, subscribe and give me five stars on Apple Podcasts. Some dickhead gave me a one star and I don't know why they didn't even leave a comment, but other people are giving me five stars. So it's all right. But I'm currently sitting at like 4.6, which I don't really like. Um, and Ed, where can we find you? Uh, well, so um, I am probably most frequently social network wise um, on Twitter at Ed A. Goodman. Uh, my Instagram and my Facebook are personal channels, so they're locked. But um, of course, search for Freelance Heroes on Facebook groups or visit the website freelance-heroes.com and all the signposts are there. Awesome. Cool. Well, guys, thank you very much for listening. Um, thank you very much, Ed, for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's been, a, it's been lovely talking to you. Very relaxing. It's been great. Cool. Very cathartic. Right. And we will see you for the next one. Bye-bye.